where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name, a Cheers podcast. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 23, Relief Bartender. The episode was released on the 27th of March, 1986, and it was written by Miriam Trogdon and directed by James Burroughs. I'm John. And I'm James. Boy, James, what an episode. Yes, I think it's an interesting one. The title alone, let's take a little moment to talk about that, because Sam is a relief pitcher, or was, and now that's being translated into the concept of a relief bartender. I know we were only talking about the title, but there's a lot to dissect, and the title is one of those things. (laughs) Ted Danson himself has admitted he doesn't know much or follow much sport, but when he first started in Cheers and knew that Sam was a relief pitcher, he knew that Sam as a character would exhibit a certain kind of arrogance because a relief pitcher comes in at the end of a game and all the trust is put on them, either to keep the game afloat or to save the day and score more runs. Bring home a win. Because they don't want to overwork the main pitchers. Like a relay race where you put a good runner last who, if you're a bit behind, they'll take the lead. Yeah, Ted Danson has said that hinted towards the arrogance that this character would have. We've talked about this quite often where Sam has talked about that legacy of his where he's the Sam Malone. He's Sam Mayday Malone where he comes in and is able to solve things and be the hero that people need. And this episode does delve into that aspect of his personality. Yeah. But even in the title alone, it addresses it. We'll get into the cold opening in a sec, but we'll just uh, carry on with this theme of the opening as well, because this episode does kind of bring together both the baseball past, but also the managing a bar present. And he's comparing himself to another Red Sox who has opened uh, their own bar, who's now got a couple of franchises. So it's kind of the comparison between the two. And that arrogance comes in when he says that the person was up there. I can't remember what he says, but it's almost minutes. And the arrogance that he should be doing better in a bar because he was better on the pitch. I mean, Don was up with the Red Sox for a cup of coffee, for goodness sake. I was there five years and now this clown is a celebrity and I'm paying my employees to come talk to me. But we'll get more into that later on. For now, let's have a look at the cold open. Cliffy is upset. When isn't he? He's got car trouble. Car trouble hasn't been a big topic in the bar up until now. They've rarely talked about it, haven't they? The car's just how they get home. <laughs> but Cliffy's got some car trouble. But Norm knows a, a good garage that can sort him out. I, originally I thought he said Peterson's garage. No, no. That... <laughs> Pearson's. <laughs> hey Cliff, you know whose garage is great? Who's mine? <laughs> But Norm both that they can fix everything, which pricks Woody's ears, who uh, is having a bit of trouble with a toaster. <laughs> They're having a hard time trying to explain to Woody. I like how uh, Cliff and Norm kind of turn to each other as if this is a regular kind of thing. And they understand that they have to really spell out why this mechanic wouldn't be able to fix the toaster. They have to try and find uh, ways of saying it that... Woody can't reinterpret what they're saying. Yes, and they fail. They can fix uh, only those things that uh, originally came with the car when you bought it. As far as I know, cars don't come with toasters. Oh, mine did. part of a promotional campaign. You know, if I'd have bought a convertible, I'd have got a food processor. I bet you that would sell you a, a car, James, if you could get a toaster with it. I mean, the possibility of making toast in a car is quite something. <laughs> My dad, back in the 70s or 80s, he 
was in Africa. He uses car to cook because of the hot metal. Is that like they're frying eggs on the bonnet? Yeah, frying eggs on the bonnet. It's a common thing. I'm not saying that's how they cook everything. I'm just saying you could. So, you know, you pop a toaster in the boot, eggs on toast. Car toast. So, yeah, that's the cold open that Woody's trying to hackle for a toaster to be repaired by a car mechanic. And in the end, Norm kind of just goes, just take your toaster there. <laughs> As for this guy, they don't speak English. It's quite a nice cold open. Very much a back and forth. Fast-paced, as you say, reinterpretation, double meanings, very well done. As we get into the main part of the episode, this is where uh, we talked about Sam's ego a little bit. He's feeling a little bit unhappy with how the bar is expanding, or lack of expanding, really, and how the success is kind of plateaued. It hasn't been on TV this season, I don't think. He was doing adverts, he got news reports all last seasons. He's been on radio. He was on TV, he tried to sell a t-shirt or, or a jersey, no one wanted it. His jersey was on TV, yeah. I mean, that falls into the season as a whole, and I imagine we'll talk about a lot of this in our season review. But this has been the plateau of cheers as an establishment, as a business, has mirrored Sam's own personal life, where he feels his own success as a one, athlete, and two, as a womanizer, is plateauing. And he's starting to feel old that strain and that yeah he started to feel that his best years are behind him both for him and his business so maybe there's a maybe it's representative of sam and i've said it before but sam is very much a captain of the ship that is cheers and when a ship doesn't work the captain doesn't yeah and i think that kind of as a captain he seems like he's almost sort of lost a little bit of uh, respect from the staff at cheers because he calls a meeting and they kind of decline it until they get paid a dollar just to, to turn up to his office which you know and kind of it's not something that we've seen much before no, Carl has always been someone who admired him mm. and respected him. And I feel even us going by, it's this Woody fella, I tell you. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't see that for during the coach years. But yeah, I thought that was a little bit strange. And I think that's kind of where well, it's kind of great. And I think he wants to get a little bit more of a, a management role. And that is why he has this new scheme of how he's going to make the bar more successful by becoming more of a face of the bar. Yes, it's dangerous. Because if that fails, it's not just the failing of a business, but it's shown that he can't rely on his identity as a brand anymore. That's a whole existential issue there. Mm. And uh, Norm turns up to this staff meeting as well because he wants a dollar. Um. <laughs> well, Norm is, he's not a full-time member, but he's what, on retainer, isn't he? Yeah, he, he does the books. Yeah, basically, uh, it's how he's able to afford all beers because he just writes off his tap. <laughs> Um, but essentially, Sam's keen to become a host slash manager of the bar, come out from behind the counter, stop pulling pints and start greeting people. He feels like he'd be able to generate more business, get some events in, things like this. That's the plan. But that would require hiring a relief bartender, which Norm is very against. He says they won't be able to afford it, essentially. Financially, it's a bad idea, yeah. And because Diane and Carla, uh, they don't trust Diane behind the bar. Carla could be behind the bar, but with Sam's idea of getting new business, they need both a bartender and a waitress mm. simultaneously because Sam thinks they're going to be flooding in. Well, it doesn't doesn't entirely go to plan. No, it doesn't. In fact, it goes even worse. So we skip a, a little bit ahead in time. Sam's got a paisley suit jacket. He's got all kinds of suits on. It reminded me a little bit of, do you remember when uh, in The Simpsons, Mo becomes family friendly? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, even in there, they, they start calling him Unky Mo, uh, which will come back to Sam later on, I guess. It reminds me of parts in The Good Place where 
his character Michael tries on different suits to pretend to be someone else to portray a different part of his personality. He doesn't quite know how to, if you haven't seen The Good Place, his character isn't human set in the afterlife, but he doesn't quite know how to act human. So really putting on these new costumes, but is fundamentally still as weird. (laughs) And I think that's kind of a little bit the same of Sam trying to put on the facade of being a greeting host. A sort of old or middle-aged couple come into the bar and he greets them and assumes that they are big fans of his and says like, my signature's free, but you'll have to pay for the drinks and things like this. And the the wife just turns to her husband and says, please make him go, which I think is kind of highlights how that the plan's not really working. But in this time, he's also hired a another bar staff in the form of Ken. Good old Ken. I liked Ken. I thought he was good. The, I'll tell you what, the relief bar staff, well, not even relief bar staff, but the guests we've had in Cheers who have worked behind the bar, they've been quite good. And I'm surprised that some haven't stuck around for longer. We've had Malcolm. Remember Malcolm? Malcolm Kramer? Yeah. Well, he was he was going to die, so he wasn't going to stick around <laughs> too much. We've had Lillian Huxley. A uh, pint and a wee bit more. Cheeky cheeky. She was, she was great. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame they didn't stick around for longer, but Lillian couldn't stick around because she loved Sam. Complications, yeah. But Ken seems good. We like Ken. It's, it's a very much a sort of, uh, it feels like Cheers is trying to become a bit hipper. Down with the kids. Well, yeah, I mean, like, if you think back to season one, it was like... Old man. Old, old man coach. <laughs> Sassy Carla. It's quite like a, a sports... Very sports oriented, because, yeah. I mean, they held a party for accountants. That's not hip. It felt a bit more like an old boys club, you know? Yeah. Well, and Carla, at times, even considered herself one of the boys. Yeah, and it was kind of like, bring your newspaper, have a pint, be quiet. <laughs> Just shut up. <laughs> that, that was kind of the vibe. Yeah, well, Diane said it in the first episode. It's it's the night of her wedding and I'm in the middle of a sweat contest. Reconsidering her life choices. And yeah, so things aren't going to plan, but it's going to be all right because Sam's booked a lodge. Which is, is that like a, a Freemasons kind of? It's like a Freemasons thing, yeah. So uh, the expectation is a lot of people coming in. Busy night. Sam gives a good prep speech to encourage and motivate the team. Yeah, it's like a coach talk. Play by play, this is what we're going to do. Get out the drawboard, get a little pen. Like it was, remember when coach was doing the recap of the episodes with Philip Semenko mm. and we saw the play-by-play, that kind of deal. But uh, he puts a lot on, on this night and he says that this is going to put cheers on the map. He's laid out a buffet of a, a lot of shrimp. A lot of seafood. A lot of seafood. I imagine they got a deal from Melville's upstairs. Oh, yeah. But they have former staff member Norm because Norm was a KP up at Melville's, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. I don't think that would get you much in, in terms of discount. I know a fish guy. I think more, more the fact that Cheers sort of holds their clientele before bookings and it warms them, you know, keeps keep them warm, gets them ready for their meal. You mentioned symbiotic relationships a couple of weeks ago. It's a bit like that. The two businesses are quite connected. Yes. But anyway, someone comes into Cheers, he goes, are you ready for the, the lodged party to come in? Sam goes, yes, we're, we're ready. And they kind of line up to greet the party. And then the guy yells up the stairs, come on, boys, they're, they're ready for us. Two people follow. <laughs> and tables full of seafood, which do you have to eat quickly, seafood. But one of them is allergic to seafood. So it's two people have to eat multiple. I imagine Norm wouldn't say no. Well, this is the thing. If that happened, you'd just open up to the rest of the bar, wouldn't you? Exactly. It needs to be eaten. I thought it was quite suspicious how the seafood was right next to our front door. What, do you think? Theft? No, I mean, I just, I wouldn't, tr- if, if there was a, a platter of seafood right by the door to the streets of Boston, I probably wouldn't eat it. Why so? Everyone who comes through the bar is walking past this seafood, which isn't refrigerated, is it, you know? No, it's a good point. I didn't think about it that way. I just went, food, yep, 
fine. <laughs> Very on brand for me. Um, the seafood. How much of it can I eat? Uh, as much as you like, really? One time I went to a sushi place where they had a kind of all you can eat. And I ate so much sushi that when I left, the chef shook my hand. <laughs> So to go, well played, sir. Well played. After this huge failing of this event, Sam has come to the realisation that he needs to come back behind the bar and his idea of being a host slash manager not working out. But the issue with this is he's going to have to fire someone. Who would he have to fire? It's a tough call because Ken's the newest, but Ken bar wizard, isn't he? Yeah, well, it's not that which is keeping him. So Sam and Diane have a, a chat about, you know, it's a hard decision, but they're going to have to fight Ken. And uh, just so happens, Ken knocks on the door and asks for a chat with Sam. But as Ken comes to the door, he's followed by his wife and two children. It's an even more difficult. The, the guilt's thick, and it gets even thicker guilt. Ken says, you know, it's a rough time for us, but the four of us are going to be all right. And his wife goes... The five of us rubs her stomach. The guilt is like a thick fog. <laughs> you put your eyes up to the windscreen trying to peer through it. That's how thick the guilt is. You could cut it with a special guilt cutting knife. It kind of manifests as Sam is about to sort of fire Ken and ends up um, actually giving him a, a raise. Ken's happy, goes off, leaves his children in the Sam's office, which is a bit weird. Yeah, that's a bit weird. And then they're talking about whether they'll have to fire Woody. And the children are still there. Well, they're going, well, we'll have to fire someone. And the children are just like, okay. Do you know what I thought was going to happen? I thought one of the children was going to fire Ken. <laughs> I thought they were going to pick up from it and tell him. What does happen is the decision's made that if you explain the situation to Woody, he's so nice he would fire himself. And I believe that. I think he's always been quite forgiving of other people's sort of wrongdoings. But I think if this affected him like that, and, and we do kind of see, he's not too pleased about it. And he doesn't he doesn't really see why this should impact him. Yeah, exactly. Though what I do like is when Woody's in the office, Sam's trying to find him, the children are still there. <laughs> Sam's calmly explained that he has to fire someone, has to fire one of the bartenders, and it can't be Ken. Do you understand what I'm saying, Woody? And the son goes, I do, I do. And it goes, no, this is... And that's when they go, children, leave now. They do fire Woody. And I'll tell you what, so particularly the latter half of this season, there's been high stakes, hasn't there? We thought Sam and Diane were going to die. Woody's going to be fired. <laughs> uh, but almost instantly after Woody's fired, Ken comes in and, and tells Sam that he's not going to believe what's happened, but someone's offered him a job in another club because he, he likes the cut of his jib. And then Sam runs out. To get Woody back. And there's quite a sort of profound comeback from Woody to this news. Who do you think I am? I got fired from a job that means more to me than anything else in the world. And you want me to just come walking back in here because Ken wants to leave? Well, I can't do that. And this is where we see how Woody's actually, uh, he's, he's smarter than people give him credit for. Especially when you consider in this cold open, he was sort of negotiating how he can get his toaster fixed by a mechanic. You kind of think maybe he isn't as dumb as he lets on. The thing is, I think both Coach and Woody, they're not idiots. Coach had physical injuries, which resulted in him being forgetful. He had a number of concussions, which had had effect on his mental health. And though Coach and Woody are used as that kind of simpleton, I don't think they're ever regarded as lesser characters or regarded as characters to make fun of because of that. With Woody, his characterization is, one, he's that kind of country boy as opposed to the city life of Boston. You know, we compared him to Mark Twain characters in the past, but also he takes things very literally and he thinks about things laterally. 
For example, in the toaster with the car, he interprets it as, no, this toaster came with the car. They are one unit. And when he's renegotiating with Sam, it's not that he, you know, is going to be taken advantage of. It's just that he knows his worth. A lot of the times he just doesn't understand the references, the cultural references that others are giving. But he thinks about things in his own way. It's not that he's an idiot. I think what is quite nice as well is he uses maybe the simple country kind of stereotype and the sincerity that is expected of him to kind of get a little bit more out of Sam at the end. So he's kind of negotiated a £100 a month raise and then quite sincerely says, ah, that's too much. How about £30 a week? And in Sam's sort of eagerness... Dollar pounds. Oh, did I say pounds? But Sam's eagerness to get Woody back on board and, and kind of undo the wrongdoings that Sam's done to Woody accepts the $30 a week. Which is $20 more than $100 a month. So I thought, that was, I thought it was a really nice ending to the episode. So yeah, Ken has gone off to work somewhere else. And let's talk about the cast. And there's quite a long cast list here. We've got Tony Carrero as Ken Charters. This was his film TV debut. He has also appeared in Family Ties, Hunter, Lethal Weapon 2, The Golden Girls, Home Improvement, Ellen Matlock, ER, Sister Sister, Diagnosis Murder, and many others. We also had Patricia Veselik as Mrs. Charters. She also appeared in Give Me a Break, Quantum Leap, My Two Dads, and others. Now, on to the children. We also had Judith Barcy as child number one. She also appeared in The Twilight Zone, The Fall Guy, Remington Steel, Punky Brewster, Trapper John, MD, Cagney and Lacey, The Tracy Allman Show, Saint Elsewhere, and among other roles was the voice of Ducky in the first Land Before Time. We had Eden Gross as child number two. He also appeared in Trapper John, MD, The Twilight Zone, New Heart, The Tracy Allman Show, Married with Children, Child's Play Murphy Brown, Child's Play 2, Child's Play 3, Northern Exposure, The Ren and Stimpy Show, and many more. Some others. Kim Robinson as Andrea. She also appeared in Bachelor Party and Girls School Screamers. We had Majel Dean as Mrs. Bentford. She also appeared in Perry Mason and Gunsmoke, among others. Paul Eiding as Fred. He also appeared in Simon and Simon, Hunter, Trapper John MD, Hill Street Blues, The Twilight Zone, Who's the Boss, Tales from the Dark Side, The Smurfs, a pup named Scooby-Doo, The Golden Girls, Paddington Bear, Doogie Howser MD, Murphy Brown, Blossom, Star Trek The Next Generation, Animaniacs, A Bug's Life, Cow and Chicken, Tarzan, The Iron Giant, Shrek, Cars, Wally, Up, Ben 10, Fallout 3, 4, and Fallout 76, The Incredibles 2, and many more. And now onto The Lodge, The Caribous, Jack Lindine as Caribou number one. He also appeared in The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Heart to Heart, Chips, New Heart, The Twilight Zone, Thelma and Louise, Third Rock from the Sun, Jack Frost, Six Feet Under, NYPD Blue, That 70 Show, and many others. Terence Bezor as Caribou number two. He also appeared in The Incredible Hulk, Police Squad, Dallas, The A-Team, Hunter, Hill Street Blues, Remington Steel, Max Headroom, Dynasty, Simon and Simon, Murder, She Wrote, Days of Our Lives, Columbo. Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Ginnemore Girls, Scrubs, The Office, Parks and Recreation, House, Andrew Tribeca, and many more. Kelsey Grammer appeared as Dr. Fraser Crane, and Al Rosen was uncredited as Al. What a cast. He wanted more business, there's definitely been a lot more than maybe the last couple of episodes. That's the trivia ball, James. That means uh, one thing. It means that we've had some lovely trivia letters dropped off. Do you want to kick it off with a question? Yes. 
You said that the garage Norm suggested is called Pearson's Garage, but where is this garage? Boston. I'm not sure if we'll be able to be more specific than that. I think that's probably the best I'll do. Braintree. In this episode, Fraser quotes an old friend, Dr. Bennett Ludlow. But what quote does he do, and in what context? I vaguely remember this. Is it talking about name dropping? In sort of referring to the lodge and how the sort of Mason Lodge kind of crew don't have a thought of their own. So he decides to quote Bennett Ludlow and say, Dr. Bennett Ludlow once said, I'll speak no thought but my own. Which I thought was quite an ironic quote, but what is also brilliant about Fraser's role in this episode is by the end of the role, after criticising the Lodge, he ends up trying to join them, and you see him sort of taking their oaths. Cliff's paperboy keeps missing deliveries to the Claven house, but what is Cliff's plan to outsmart him? Hide in a bin. Pretty close. It's a put on a camo jacket, stick branches behind his ears, and hide in a rhododendron bush. That's what what those binoculars from the last episode were for. In this episode, we've talked a little bit about how Woody got a free toaster with his car. Uh, what would have he got if he got a convertible? A food processor. So. Yeah, which I think in a car would be pretty dangerous. You'd end up with all sorts of sources flying out the top of the convertible into the car behind. What is the name of the rival bar? Oh, it's not Gary. Sports themed. I don't know, James. Dan Talbot's locker room. Bad connotations about that. Mm, it does have a very, like, boys only. Yeah, it sounds a bit like the wham-bam room from the other episode. Yeah, exactly. The tragedy of the small turnout to the lodge party put another night that they put on look like a smashing success. What other night did Cheers have on previously? Was it Hula Night? Yeah, Hula Night, which, uh, I mean, I wish we got to see that. That would have been quite the sight in the bar. Or maybe, maybe it's good we didn't see the Hula Night at Cheers. Yeah. Exactly. No, I don't think we'd want to see Norm in a grass skirt. Speak for yourself. Sam brings the staff into his office to address the newspaper headline talking about Don Talbot's locker room. But what other headline is there? Oh, I can't remember. I I was going to try and reference it to something like uh, pilot suspended for faking death or something like that. But Uh, It was a grown man that lives in refrigerator. Now, that's a story I'd like to talk about. For Back to the Future wasn't the time machine originally supposed to be a refrigerator, but they were worried kids would climb inside refrigerators. (laughs) So instead they made it a car traveling at 88 miles per hour. (laughs) (laughs) Much safer, you know. That's the last call at the bar. I I think we know who we're going to be toasting to. Ken. Ken. So long. So long. Farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Goodbye. But before you go, let's order in a round of drinks, James. What do you reckon? Because there weren't really many drinks mentioned this episode, but something that goes well with seafood and car toast. <laughs> I mean, let's let's just order the platter from, from Melville's. Oh, seafood platter. Lovely. As long as it comes with a dollar. Seafood platter with a dollar. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I know what we could have. Yeah? A prawn cocktail. I can go for that. It's in a nice glass as well. So on that note, we raise a a shrimp to uh, the relief bartender of this episode, Ken. It was nice to see Sam from behind the bar trying to host. Didn't work out, but worth the effort maybe. And uh, here's to our three friends at the lodge as well. Thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a Cheers podcast. (laughs)